I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Hey, I'm Rod Hill, FM News. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. I've got a couple of questions to start you off. Number one, if Joe Biden will not guard the borders of the United States of America, and he's certainly not doing that, he has helped, aided, and abetted the invasion of illegal aliens that now number literally in the millions. We haven't crossed the 10 million mark yet, but we're sure to do that in the early part of next year. But if Joe Biden will not guard our borders, should states pass and enforce laws and do it for them? The state of Texas has done just that. Texas Governor Greg Abbott yesterday signing a brand new bill into law actually three of them and one of them makes illegal entry from a foreign country into the united states and the state of texas that makes that a texas crime and governor greg abbott says we're going to enforce that law i think it's a fantastic idea it sends a message to joe biden if you're not going to do the job that you were elected to do that you took an oath of office to do then the states will get it done for you. And watch, because lawsuits have already been filed, even though the laws were only signed into effect yesterday. As of today, the American Crooks and Lawyers Union, the ACLU, has already filed suit saying we're going to try to block the state of Texas from doing the job that Joe Biden and, uh, and uh, Alejandro Mayorkas refused to do. So you can find today's X poll or Twitter poll. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show on Twitter. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. And let me remind you of one more thing about that, because if you've believed the Joe Biden lie, that says, oh, our border's under control. We're doing just fine with illegal crossings. As Governor Abbott put it, four years ago, the United States had, by the numbers, the fewest illegal border crossings in 40 years because of four separate policies implemented by the Trump administration. The first thing Joe Biden did was eliminate those four policies, the most prominent of which is known as remain in Mexico. And the United States has now literally seen the highest number of illegal border crossings in the history of the United States of America. So 
Find the Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show on, on X. You're going to find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. And it's brought to you always by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Now, I want to invite you to the conversation. If you want to jump in, it's easy to do. 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, and lately we've had some pretty good naysayers, if you disagree with my point of view, we're going to put you right to the head of the line. You just have to make your point and stick around for a few clarifying questions from me at 866-439-5277. You can send emails to me, talk at LarsLarson.com. Try to answer every last one of them. And, of course, you can vote in the Twitter poll. Here's the second question, and it has to do specifically with the state of Oregon, although I'll extend it to our Radio Northwest audience by saying this. Are your state lawmakers doing the job you elected them to do? Now, both Oregon and Washington have massive and deadly drug problems, and the legislature has refused to address those. But this one seems like an issue that would be relatively easy for state lawmakers to say, we ought to fix that. And let me give you the background to this. When it comes to taxes on cars and trucks, in the state of Oregon, the Constitution sets the ground rules very, very clearly. They say, according to the Constitution, Taxes on cars and trucks need to be, quote, fair and proportionate to the costs incurred for the highway system because of each class of vehicle. Now, generically, you and I know that uh, as your car weighs three, four, five, six thousand pounds, even a heavy duty pickup truck is going to maybe reach up around 10,000 pounds. On the other hand, local delivery trucks might weigh 30,000 pounds, maybe even 50,000. And a long haul 18 wheeler, that's going to weigh in about 80,000 pounds or so. With special licensing, they can go up over a 100,000 pounds. So, they have to lay the taxes on those vehicles based on the system, on what it does to the roads when those cars and trucks and vehicles go down the road. Well, there's a brand new study out of a firm called Eco Northwest. And what it says is that heavy vehicles this biennium, 2023 through 25, are going to overpay their share of the road costs by more than 32%. Now, frankly, I have a lot of sympathy for truck drivers because they do a job that is absolutely essential to what we do in America. You can't have a country or an operating economy or even living people unless you can deliver food and fuel and clothing and household goods and all the other necessities of life. It all comes eventually on a truck. It may have started out on a plane, on a boat. It may have started out on a train. But eventually, when it gets to the place where you buy it, typically it will come on a truck. Well, if you tell those truck drivers, we are going to overcharge you by 32% in a single two-year period for your share of the road costs. And light vehicles, like the one I drive, are expected to underpay by 12%. You are stealing. You're stealing from, and if you say, well, but my truck, my car taxes will be lower. Yes, they will. And the cost of everything you buy, because every consumer good, every bit of food on your plate comes on a truck. So if you overcharge the truck drivers by 32%, what's going to happen? 
They're going to be forced to pass those costs along, and you and I are going to end up paying them. Now, there are two state lawmakers. State Senator Brian Boquist went to high school with him in Tillamook, Representative Anna Scharf, um, and they're saying this is unconstitutional. We need to fix it. Now, this seems like a fairly simple fix. You have a special session. That's what Scharf and Boquist have called for. They said, why don't we have a one-day special session? We will fix this problem right away. Now, the Democrats who are in the majority in the House, in the majority in the Senate, they have every single statewide elected office from governor down to secretary of state. And the Democrats know about this problem. They know it violates the Constitution. And you know what? To a large extent, they don't give a damn. They don't see any need to fix it. They knew it was a problem in the session this year, 2023. And according to Boquist, they just said, we're just going to ignore it. Like they ignore most of the problems out there. They're ignoring drug deaths. They're ignoring homelessness. They're ignoring energy problems. And now they're ignoring something that is a deliberate and blatant violation of the state's constitution. And what Boquist and Scharf are saying is, let's call a special session. Let's get this thing fixed. I mean, wouldn't that actually be a breath of fresh air? For if government agencies, if the state of Washington and its lawmakers said, let's have a special session, let's address a big problem, maybe the drug problem, maybe it's that uh, carbon tax problem. I mean, any of those show the people you can actually get the job done that you took the oath after running to get that seat and have that power and have that vote. Show the people they can actually trust you to do the job you signed up for. Anyway, it's a Tuesday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, now nearly 24 years of serving the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. Your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can always vote in our Twitter poll. If Joe Biden won't enforce the border, should the states do it for him? And coming up in just a moment, the bizarre and perverted ways that America's political left is showing its dis despicable uh, disregard for this country. I'll get to that next. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. The 40th president of the United States always knew where to put the blame. You have blamed mistakes of the past, and you blamed the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. This is the Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you're bloody well right. You know he got a right to say it. 
This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. America's political left wing has found some inventive and now even obscene ways to demonstrate just how much they despise this great country. Joe Biden hosts a transgender pride event, and some of those invited decided that displaying their bare breasts on the South Lawn of the White House was the right way to celebrate. A new school board member in Virginia takes the oath of office on a stack of LGBTQ books from the school library that are so pornographic, I can't even verbally describe the contents without risking a six-figure FCC fine. And the most recent outrage, a staffer for Democrat Party Senator Ben Cardin used a Senate hearing room, yep, the same room where a Supreme Court justices sit for their confirmation for some stunningly explicit sex with his boyfriend on a conference table in the room, shot a video of it, and posted it to the Internet. You can't describe that one either, uh, but graphic doesn't even begin to tell the tale. Yes, pun intended. Capitol Police are investigating, but you know their rules. Unless he was wearing a MAGA hat during the act, he won't face charges. This Randy Staffer, who appeared in some of Joe Biden's campaign ads, got fired for his performance. And he promptly played the victim card. Quote, I love my job, and I would never disrespect my workplace. Hmm. It seems the Democrats enjoy a very divergent definition of disrespect. Our question of the day from John in Tumwater. Hey, Lars, when polling shows 51% of American children 18 to 24 support Hamas terrorists over Israel, it cements their status as the worst generation ever. When the calls from these despicable morons to stop killing terrorists, you know, ceasefire, because many times become many times louder than the calls for the terrorists to release their hostages, including Americans, I give up on the future of this country. Reagan was right. We're always only one generation from ruin and this one looks like the generation and now today's daily grill insane are you completely insane ridiculous they get more and more ridiculous flat out dumb you're even dumber than i thought who deserves today's large grill of the day maybe they're just really really stupid find out right now i want to give the grill to all those who are mismanaging the so-called homeless problem get this they do these counts and i will get to our naysayers so be patient but they do these counts of so-called homeless or houseless people in america and guess what oregon now literally leads the nation in the rate of unsheltered unaccompanied homeless youth and unsheltered homeless families it is now second only to california in the rate of unsheltered overall homeless the data is based on a one-time count usually conducted in January, of all the individuals living out on the streets. And a snapshot of that count shows that Oregon homelessness increased by 12% from 2022 to 2023. One year, 12% increase. Absolutely unbelievable. Today's Eat Best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. John Christensen writes in, Lars, I just got a check to my address from Washington Attorney General Bob Ferguson. You know, he's running for governor. However, the check was payable to my son, who has never lived at this address. That seems odd. Apparently, this is the result of $40 million received from 20 corporations that overcharge for chicken and tuna. Is this an attempt to buy votes? I can provide the letter if needed. Signed, John Christensen. 
existence. And, John, I've had lots of people offer me the letter. I believe it's real. The fact is it does sound like an effort to buy votes, and that's what they do best in Democrat-run governor governments like the one run by Jay Inslee. Your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Let's start with David, who's a naysayer. David, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What do you and I disagree about today? First of all, I always appreciative of you taking my call, Mr. Larson. And real quick, what we disagree Thank on you. today is that uh, I disagree that the state government has a duty to do federal government's jobs. And by Texas deciding that they want to enforce federal laws, we're going to it's going to create a whole can of worms down the road of states deciding that they want to take on the federal uh, duty. And then when something does become a problem, who are you going to blame? So let's, let's for instance, a terrorist does cross the Texas border now. Who is yeah. it the state government's fault that that terrorist crossed the border? National security is the exclusive province of the federal government. And Greg, and so but let me ask you something, David, to clear this up. When you say, we actually agree on this, when you say it's not the state's job or duty to take care of this, you're right. It is the federal government's job to do it. But when the federal government refuses to do its job and Americans are being harmed, demonstrably harmed, should the state just say, well, it's not my job. I mean, to me, that's like a cop who's standing on one side of the street, hold on, and the other side of the street is outside of his jurisdiction, and he sees a woman being raped, and he says, well... That's rape. It's certainly criminal, but it's outside my jurisdiction, so therefore I'm just going to stand here and do nothing. Is that what we want to tell government to do or not do? The in, in, imminent danger and potential danger are very different, right? No, I'm so talking about imminent, real danger, the real damage that's being done. What, what you just said was imminent danger, but what I'm saying is potential danger. Like when people come into our country who are on the terrorist watch list, could we argue that is imminent danger? And not really, because how did they get on that watch list? Are we sure that they got on that watch list for viable Boy, reasons? Boy, you should get a job in Homeland Security because you'd fit right in with Mayorkas. Mayorkas is the same <laughs> way. Well, they haven't blown anybody up yet, so we better let them do it. Well, no, what, I, what, what I'm getting to, though, is like this is going to create these problems, though, then. If they what, do, no, no, but what problem, David? David, what problem? And by, it does create a damage. Now, by the way, by the way, David, Aren't there a lot of examples where, for instance, do you think it's legal? Do you think it's legal under federal law for you to buy fireworks on an Indian reservation and then take them across the state border from Washington to Oregon? Do you think that's against federal law? Yes. Okay. Is it also against state law to possess those fireworks in the state of Oregon no matter where you bought them? Yes. Okay. So we have the same act that is covered by two laws, one federal and one state. Now, the state, the state of Oregon could say, if you lay your hands on some fireworks and you manage to get them here, maybe against federal law, but once you get them here, it's okay. So some states... different laws, though. Well, but they're, they're both about the same thing, though. They're both about fireworks. Are you going to get in more trouble with the federal government or the state government? It doesn't matter. The state could have bigger penalties. Hold on, hold on. This is why it doesn't matter. The state could have gigantic penalties for illegal fireworks, or they could have a $5 fine. You say, fine, I'll just pay the $5 fine. The feds could have gigantic penalties or small penalties. The question is, if real illegal aliens are coming into Governor Greg Abbott's state and the Texas legislature, even though they know it's not their job, they say, but they don't, they haven't been forbidden to do it either. They say, you know what? We ought to do something about this. And they pass a law and say, Governor Abbott, 
use the resources of the state to arrest these people who are coming into America and our state illegally. What's wrong with that? What problem does that cause? Because they're getting paid by the federal government. The federal government is supposed to be doing that job. So if the Texas decides to take that over... Once again, you're the, you're the cop or the firefighter who says, I could put that fire out, but it's outside my jurisdiction, so it's not my job. Which, by the way, Governor Inslee and Governor Kate Brown, former Governor Kate Brown, have done exactly that. Yeah, there's a fire burning in the forest, but it's on the wrong side of a political line, so I'm just going to sit back and watch it burn, baby, burn. David, you're a good naysayer. Thank you very much. You're listening the to The Lars Larson Show. Nixon was wrong about a lot of things, but he's right about this. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. What say you, Joe Biden? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to take your phone calls and emails. Can you imagine spending $2.8 million to fund a telephone hotline that receives one phone call per day on average? Now, I want to put that question to our friend Angela Todd from the group PDX Real. And if you haven't sampled their work on Instagram and X and other places, you really should. Angela, welcome back. Hi, Lars. Thank you. Now, I've complained endlessly before Measure 110 passed and after that the idea that we would say, well, hard drugs are still technically illegal but you can't get any jail time. It's not a criminal act. The most you get is a ticket for $100. And if you make a phone call after getting the ticket, you don't even have to pay the $100. I call that de facto legalization. But part of that plan was we need to fund treatment, which they did, hundreds of millions of dollars, literally. And then we need to have a phone number so that all these poor addicts who want to get treatment can pick up the phone and call. And they may be prompted to do so by the cop who says, this is a $100 ticket, but you don't have to pay it if you just call the number. Can you, you've looked into this, and actually one of your followers had an amazing experience having found one of these discarded citations. I'll bet those are pretty common because, because <laughs> they found if you're a ticket on the sidewalk, if, if you're a drug they addict, the they found the ticket on the sidewalk. So if you're a drug addict and the cop hands you a ticket and you have no resources and, and everything else, you're not going to pay the ticket anyway. So you just toss the ticket on the sidewalk. What happened when your follower called the phone line we've been talking about? They waited for 15 minutes for them to answer the phone, listening to a recording. Then whenever a person got on the phone, they were reading a script to them. They told them they were asking about what drugs they're taking, and they just said, I'm a fentanyl addict. I'm trying to get into detox. The person continued to give them the intake, then put them on hold, and after 30 minutes, they hung up. And I should point out that the Oregon Health Authority has replaced this Health Resources and Action Call Center with a new one. Excuse me, it was Lines for Life, and now it's Health Resources and Action in Boston. But the most ridiculous part about this, I feel, is that somebody should be able to call in and get a referral service for real-time information for detox, shelter, that is uh, no barrier, a facility, I mean, what happened to the Chiefs ban? They closed it because they said these people were too unsafe. I mean, it's just ridiculous that this is the best that they can do. And, you know, I was reading an OPD article before this today just to make sure that I knew the things that my followers are telling me and also just to check a few things. And Oregon Health Authority says 
that only half of the people that called this toll-free number, the 577 people in almost two years, only half had citations who called. And I mean to tell you, I've been on ride-alongs with police who do not issue these citations. I've said, aren't you going to issue them a citation? And they're like, nah, it takes me 15 minutes. They don't call anyway. And also the police have to handwrite in the phone number on the ticket or give it to them otherwise. This was absolutely uh, so much money and so little thought, Lars. Unbelievable. Well, it, it is, and, and like you said, I mean, do you remember the total amount they put in for funding? They were taking all the money from the marijuana taxes. It strikes me as something like $280 million that they had allocated for treatment resources. I think that's correct within about five. Yeah, I think that's about right. Well, see, and, and when you hear $280 million and you say, for that amount of money, you could fund a call center if you actually thought you were going to get calls. And if somebody said, hey, uh, I'm on fentanyl, I'm on meth, I'm in between, I don't I don't want to be on this, I want to beat my addiction, you would almost think that they'd say, we've got a staff member, tell us where you are, we'll pick you up and take you right to a drug treatment center. I understand that's door-to-door -door service and maybe more luxury than the average addict should get, but if you really wanted to get people into the program, I think you have to grab them when the moment is hot. And and if you say, well, you're going to sit on hold for a while, I mean, putting you on hold is a standard way for businesses that don't want to provide service to get rid of a whole bunch of people. A thousand people call in, put them on hold for a half an hour. You only have a couple of hundred left after that that you have to deal with. It almost sounds like a way not to provide treatment. Absolutely. And people that I know that are doing outreach, sometimes I'm out with them. I can tell you that with this fentanyl, it is so much different than meth or heroin. It is they they are getting high every two hours um, on fentanyl. There is very small windows of time where somebody's lucid enough um, to make a phone call like that, frankly. And I I just I'm I'm so beyond just being outraged. I am just so upset that this is the best that we can do for people that are really vulnerable in our community and sort of this this monkey on their back is so intense with this fentanyl. And I, I, I'm so upset about how much money that we are spending. And it's just, it's like, is this corruption or is this complete stupidity? Which is it? Uh, maybe it's a combination of the two, because you say, if we solve this problem, they're going to come to us and take our grant away. On the other hand, if the problem just seems to go on and on and on endlessly, then we're going to be getting grants for decades. So it doesn't even take a lot of effort to think, maybe maybe they don't want to solve the problem that quickly. And, and the other thing is, when I watch Multnomah County as an example, although this affects the entire state of Oregon, and of Washington has the same problem, when they did away with the detox center, which seems to me like garden variety, you know, ground level drug um, treatment 101, you've got uh, people who are high on drugs or alcohol, you take them to a place, they're, they're, they're able to be given some help, either medical help or others, to get through, you know, drying out that night. And, and at least they're safe that night. They may walk out of there thinking, well, I tied one on. I'm never doing that again, or I'd like to get into treatment. That just seems like a relatively easy thing to do. And Multnomah County had one, Hooper Detox, and it, it went away in 2019. Five years later, nothing has replaced it, and they say, well, we're working on it. Angela, I don't think these people could solve their way out of any kind of problem if in five years they can't set up a simple facility that already existed once and they have them in other cities. So you could model after some other city and say, 
how do they do it in New Orleans or how do they do it in New York and say, okay, we'll take all their lessons learned. We'll, you know, put them into one box. We'll, we'll establish a location, get the personnel we need. We've got piles of money to do it with, you know, all these hundreds of millions of dollars. And we'll start picking people up off the street to help them out and do some immediate good. Instead, they say, now we're going to spend another few years figuring it out. Yeah, I want to uh, correct the great Lars Larson and tell oh, you that Hooper do. does exist, but not as not as we know it. So oh. Hooper still has a detox. You just can't pick up people and sort of put them in a facility while they sober up. But there is a line there daily um, in addition to Fora. But I can tell you that they expect addicts to be there before 7.30 a.m. They line up. There's only a few people have to show up day after day after day to get in. Uh, most of them lose heart. And by the way, the drug dealers are within eye shot of that area for the ones who don't get in. So I'm, I'm glad for the correction, Angela, because so what they're telling you is somebody who you already know, if they really seriously have an addiction problem, is jonesing already, either booze or drugs. And they're wanting to get high again, but they're thinking, maybe I can beat my problem. They get in line. And again, the line, just like the wait on the phone, seems almost designed to send most of them away absolutely it's it's like what's so disheartening like I remember we had a gal that really wanted to get into uh, detox in our area and that mood of which she wanted to get into detox would evolve and change and we took her on three different occasions and as we were talking with them whenever they came out at 7:30, they were like well some people just camp here and we're like a woman alone in this market do you know what's going on with human trafficking and rape in our area like it's just there's no place to take her whenever she asks at eight o'clock at night for detox for morning like the money is being spent and they're not solving the problem. That's Angela Todd. You should check out the group PDX Real on X and on Instagram and other social media. Angela, thanks so much for the and thanks for the corrections too. I needed them. We'll be back in a moment. It's Tuesday on the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Go 
Gun Control Explained. Want to stop drunk drivers from killing sober drivers? Ban sober drivers. That's how gun control works. This is the Lars Larson Show. If your business having trouble getting its message across, do you have something to say and no one's listening? Regular PR firms can be stodgy and boring. They want you on Namby Pamby Facebook or Twitter or some college boy social networking. Why not call the PR gang that can really punch a message through with a human voice of Longshoreman PR? Hey, get your camera out of here. That's none of your business, you no one's going to mistake this for Wyden and Kennedy. Get out of here now! Hell, if you're trying to get a bunch of scabs to really hear your message, take someone hostage, dump their cargo right on the tracks. That'll wake them up. Let us get your message out in words no one will misunderstand. Get the f*** out of here! That's none of your f***ing business, you Sucker. Longshore PR. And when those TV pukes show up at your office asking all kinds of embarrassing questions, we know how to send them home. Bye! Get out of the parking lot. Longshoreman. Racing hell for almost 75 years. You know, that thing's about a decade old, but I was reminded of it today when I, well, I saw the results yesterday. Portland public school teachers who denied kids the better part of a month of education, a month that, by the way, taxpayers do not get a refund for the education that didn't happen during that month. But what happened was the strike was finally settled. The contract delivered some of the tens of millions of dollars that the union had demanded. And then what did the teachers do? Well, we told you on Friday of last week, that many of the teachers, as many as a third of them, simply said, we're not going to show up for work next week. They had already gone on strike for three weeks and wiped out the better part of a month. And then when they finally come back and they're told, well, we've got to make up some of the time that the kids lost during your strike that put money in your pocket, the teacher said, well, we're just going to take vacation or paid time off or even sick leave. Uh, let me tell you something in a moment, but first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. i got to tell you what, the unions were actually telling their unionized teachers how to cheat on sick leave, and I'll back that up in a moment. If you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll. If Joe Biden won't guard our borders, should states enforce the law for them as Texas is doing? I would say yes to that. You can vote any way you like. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. So what finally happened yesterday? Weeks of strike, a final settlement, tens of millions of dollars paid out in additional wages for the teachers who all the way through said this is all about the kids. We care about the kids. We got to do the best for the kids. Just pay us more money and we'll actually teach them. What happened yesterday? 500 classroom teachers were absent from the classroom yesterday in Portland. 500 of them. That forced the schools to have to use administrators as substitute teachers to double up various classes. In fact, they said for middle and high schoolers, for elementary schoolers, the classes would be combined on a grade level. They had to jam all these kids together to try to get the remaining teachers to actually be able to do the job. But here's the most outrageous part. Quoted in the Daily Dead Fish Wrapper, the top union thug for the unionized teachers, Angela Bonilla, 
has repeatedly reminded teachers you could legally use any kind of leave you have on the books between December 18th yesterday and December 22nd. She said as well, don't post any pictures that you went somewhere else if you gave sick leave as the reason for not showing up. In other words, the union is coaching its members on how to cheat on sick leave. And your kids spend the better part of a day with those people all day long. Let's go to Brazel. Hey, Brazel, welcome to the Lars Larson Show on a Tuesday. What's on your mind? Hey, Brazel. Oh, um, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. What's up? Hey, did it? Well, you were talking about the vehicle licensing. And I remember it was, what, 25 years ago? that we in Washington passed a law saying it'll be a $30 flat fee for licensing. I sure do. Per year. Yep. Well, <laughs> I'm frustrated because now, just for an example, my motorcycle has a $25 weight fee plus an additional $10 weight fee on top yep. of all the other fees. Yep. So the license of my motorcycle is just short of 90 bucks. And all, all of that because the courts, including the Washington State Supreme Court, threw out the voters' will. They said, yep, the voters voted for $30 car tabs, no doubt about it, and we threw it out. And by the way, the Washington Supreme Court, as far as I can tell, is deeply in the pocket of the left wing in Washington State. The Supreme Court members take big, huge campaign contributions from the people on the left, and then they deliver in their decisions that they make. And they make the most cockamamie right. decisions that a tax isn't really a tax and $30 car tabs is a violation of the Constitution. You know, voting on it is a violation of the Constitution. It's crazy, Brazel. Well, it's nuts. And especially when when they initially did that, we got to see where all the tax, the car licensing money went. It didn't go for the roads. We found it was doing stuff for the ferries and all this other garbage yep that they they tagged it to go to yep and and by the way i just at the beginning i was talking about the state of oregon which is by constitutional rule says you have to make the taxes on trucks and cars uh proportionate and they're not doing it and the democrats know it and they don't give a damn nor do the courts brazil thanks for the call it's a tuesday and it's the radio northwest network I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved Republic.
Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show. It's a Tuesday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and it serves the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. I got to tell you something. I like to start things where we talk about opinion, but I like to start them out with factual statements. Number one. America spends more money on K through 12 public education than every other country on the planet. That is a fact. If you don't believe me, look it up. The numbers are solid. And then number two, based on the most recent numbers and tests, American school kids were doing badly before the pandemic. And the pandemic, of course, really hurt kids when it comes to education. And they are suffering now and they are not catching up. So I thought I'd talk to Catherine Hickok, who's vi executive vice president of Cascade Policy, which is Oregon's free market public policy research organization, director of Cascade Children's Scholarship Fund, the Oregon program. Ms. Hickok, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be with you, Lars. I'm glad to have you here. So is there is there a way, a simple way, that public schools, no matter where they are, whether it's Oregon or elsewhere, could get kids caught up? And if there is a way uh, and it's available, why, why aren't the powers that be employing it? Well, students have been falling behind for decades. You've talked about this many, many times. Um, it, it was going on before the pandemic. It went on during the pandemic. It's going to go on after the pandemic. The thing that has not been tried yet has been letting parents decide what's good for their own children. Um, parents have a pretty good idea what's going on with their kids, um, how their kids learn, um, which schools are succeeding, and where their kids have a good shot at getting a good education. And, um, and parents also know that children are individuals. They're different from each other. They're different from each other in the same family. And so why not have the kids drive the change rather than continuing to have the, the adults arguing about how to change a monolithic system that hasn't changed in decades? Now, a lot, of state, a lot of states, especially in the last three years, have gone to school choice. They've said to parents, if you want to take some of the resources, not all of them, but some of them, uh, with you to a private school or some other education, parochial, uh, online, charter, whatever it happens to be, we'll let you do it. Arizona has famously done it. Other states have done it. What's the hang-up in Oregon and Washington? Oregon and Washington are not leaders on this subject. Um, we do have 10 states now in the country that have universal school choice, meaning all children or almost all children have access to a school choice program so that they can choose the school that's going to be best for them, and some of the money will follow the child to those schools. It empowers parents at all income levels to choose what's best for their kids. In 2023, policymakers in 40 states debated a total of 111 educational choice bills. That's why this is being called the year of school choice. Um, a total of seven states enacted new choice programs. Ten states expanded programs that were already in operation. We now have about 20 million students in this country who have access to a private choice program if they want to. And, of course, it is a choice. Um, parents can stay in their local public schools or they can choose something else or they can come up with some kind of hybrid situation that works for their kids. But I think that what we're seeing, Lars, is that this is becoming such a popular um, 
solution and an important issue to parents around the country, I think it's going to have a domino effect for other states. Um, we have a very diverse country now. Um, parents are coming at this issue from all different perspectives and, um, and, and lots and lots of different reasons. It's not just one reason, it's millions of reasons. And I think that as we continue to see that um, in the coming months and coming, coming few years, we're going to see a lot of states passing laws uh, where one might not think that it would have happened because um, because it's going to become a, a parent-driven issue. I mean, in the piece you wrote for Cascade Policy, you pointed out that no state had universal school choice in 2020. Here we are at the end of three full years after that. Ten states now have universal, as you point out, nearly universal programs. So um, there is an effort to put a, a measure on the ballot in Oregon uh, to let the public vote on it. I think the public will vote it through. I then expected to get tied up in the courts by the labor unions. Do you think I'm wrong? Well, uh, the uh, the teachers union want to keep their their monopoly control of the education system, and they will do whatever they can to stop any kind of choice program, uh, no matter how small or large. They will fight. They they will fight it. Um, but I don't think that they're going to be able to stop it for for the very reason we've been discussing. Parents want more choices for their kids, and I think this is the way that the future is going. So it may be slow, it may take time, um, but I do think that, that more and more states are going to be passing these laws, whether they are uh, limited laws or universal laws. Um, once parents get a taste of school choice, and they do in other states, and as we all know, people move to different places um, and can be surprised that they don't have the options in their, in their new home as they did where they came from. Um, I think that this is something that it, it's it's moving forward and, and will continue to move forward. It, it, Catherine, I'm talking to Catherine Hickok, who's the executive vice president of Cascade Policy. Look, I'm glad to see the voters voted through. I think they will. I think it'll get tied up in court. Is there another route to this? And, and the reason I ask that is, let me use this as an example. We have the right to arrest people for committing crimes. We have a right to convict them and put them in jail. But when they're put in jail and the conditions do do not uh you know fulfill their civil rights uh lawsuits are brought i think some of them are goofy but some of them are actually absolutely legitimate and you say you can lock people up but you can't do it this way you're doing it in such a way that violates their civil rights do you think there's a legal case to be made that when in every state there's a law uh sometimes it's written in the constitution of the state sometimes it's not that says these kids have an absolute right to attend a public school but when you say and the public school we're going to put you in is a, a school that does not deliver in any meaningful way a solid education of those kids are their civil rights being violated and is there a route to this by suing the states and saying you're you're supplying public education but it is so inadequate it's like feeding you know rotten meat to jail inmates you can't do that is there a way to go after it through the courts and force them to do it i don't know that would be a question for a lawyer definitely um but i do think that parents are looking at what their options should be and i think a lot of parents do feel that they don't have an option and that the the education that their children are receiving in their own public school is not adequate for their child um, whether or not there's a, a, a legal way to proceed, I think parents are going to take the, the least bureaucratic option when they have a need right now. My child is not learning right now. My child is only a child once. 
And I think parents, since the pandemic, have been looking around for what can they do through um, alternative means, uh, tutoring, hybrid schools, pods, micro schools, all of that. Um, there's been an explosion in homeschooling, which is about the least bureaucratic way that parents, if they are able, can have access to um, a, a different kind of education for their children. And I think that you can't stop people from doing those things. And to the extent that parents are able to exercise those options themselves, they're doing it more and more. Um, and, and as they do that, I think it does, um, it changes the culture around us because as more parents are doing those things and everybody talks to each other, people know people who are doing things, um, it spreads the word. You don't have to put up with this. You don't have to accept this for your child. Find something else that works. And yep. school choice programs are a way of helping parents to afford that, but um, able to afford it or not, parents are are cobbling together what they can. They're finding alternatives. They're getting scholarships. And they've got to get those kids out of the government-run public schools. Catherine, thanks so much. That. Catherine Hickok from Cascade Policy. Coming up, should you be forced to open your business on the set? Hey, I hate with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. I know y'all think it takes balls to be singing what I'm singing, but I'm just saying what you're thinking. This is the Lars Larson Show. Sunday, Christmas Eve, thousands of New Yorkers are traveling to their families to find and find closed restaurants and rest areas across the state. Now, that is a dimwit Democrat member of the State Assembly in the state of New York, and his name is Tony Simone. And what he's talking about is Chick-fil-A, because believe it or not, folks, every single conservative institution in America is under attack at this point and this is one example of it and i'm going to give you a few examples but just think about all the institutions that have come under attack pregnancy resource centers are literally being firebombed arson being committed they're being ransacked and the fbi turns a blind eye to that i mean you could go into example after example pro-life parents show up with a kid at a pro-life rally and the kid gets assaulted by a woman, dad protects him, and he ends up with an FBI SWAT team on his front porch. And then you've got the Biden DOJ that has declared that anybody who's conservative and white and Christian is on a possible terrorist list. 
Consider all that, and then let me tell you what they have in mind in the Empire State, the state of New York, with regard to one particular restaurant that is known for being closed on the Sabbath. But before I get into the details, welcome to the program. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's here every single day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Now, whether you know it or not, the restaurant chain Chick-fil-A. Have I bought a sandwich there occasionally? Yes. Am I a regular once a week or once a month customer? No. Uh, do I own any stock in Chick-fil-A? Do I have any ownership interest? Do I do any commercials for Chick-fil-A? In the interest of transparency, I always admit if I have a dog in the fight. And I don't have a dog in the fight in this case. But I think well of the company because it's a company owned by evangelical Christians and a family. I don't know any of them personally. I've never met any of them. But one of the things they do that is part of their faith is that they stay closed on Sundays. Now. Sunday would be a very popular day for fast food restaurants to be open. When people go to the mall, they go shopping, whatever it is they're doing, no matter what time of year it is, people will say, hey, let's grab a sandwich. You can do that at Taco Bell. You can do it at Burger King. You can do it at McDonald's or any of the other fast food restaurants out there, but not Chick-fil-A. And why? Because the owners believe they want their families to be able to stay home, go to church on Sunday if they are believers, and then be able to spend some time with their family. And I think that's laudable. Well, guess what? New York state lawmakers, Democrats, all of them, have said, we are going to go after that institution, Chick-fil-A. Now, what you should understand is that in New York state, and I've only driven a few times in New York state outside of New York City, but when you go outside the city, they have a, a, a fairly decent arrangement when it comes to travelers and rest stops. In a lot of states, if you stop at a rest area, you're lucky to find a piece of grass and maybe a filthy public restroom, uh, oftentimes a very scary place to stop in the middle of the night. But in New York State, they have these travel plazas, they call them. They accommodate trucks. They accommodate cars. They usually have several restaurants available, including all the popular ones I just named, and then some. So when you stop there, you can gas up you can stretch your legs you can get a meal you can you can walk around you can take the dog out on the grass whatever it is you need to do and chick-fil-a is one of the restaurants that has that position i mean they're just one of the fast food restaurants but now because chick-fil-a is closed on the christian sabbath all of a sudden people like tony simone have decided we don't like this we don't like them being closed now what they're trying to use is an excuse saying why if Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday, people who are traveling throughout New York, as you just heard Tony Simone say, are not going to be able to find any food when they stop to gas up and stretch their legs. That is a lie. I mean, I looked up the travel plazas this morning just to double check, and they, they include any number of other fast food joints that are open. In fact, Babylon B was joking that Chick-fil-A should open up a Seventh-day Adventist version of Chick-fil-A called uh, Sunday Filet, uh, Sunday Chick-fil-A, and, and be closed on Saturday and open on Sunday. I mean, the Babylon B hit it right on the head. But this Tony Simone knucklehead, he wants to pass a law in the state of New York that requires every single uh, fast food joint that is, uh, that is in one of those travel plazas must be open seven days a week without regard. And they know that what they're doing, without regard to the faith of the owners of that restaurant, 
What they're doing is they're saying, we're going to deliberately attack this restaurant. I'm sure that Chick-fil-A gets a lot of business from people who stop at these travel plazas in the state of New York. But extend this out to the rest of the country. At what point are you going to have people decide that the government has a right to tell you and, and, and I've given you one example already this week, uh, Starbucks. Starbucks, which is owned by a bunch of liberals, but Starbucks is a company that decided to close down about uh, 20, uh, 24, about two dozen of their many, many tens of thousands of locations around the world. And why did they close them down? Because they're in parts of cities that have become so dangerous uh, that they said these restaurants are going to close down. We'll figure out what to do with them later. Well, now the government, the National Labor Relations Board, is coming in telling them, you can't close that business. The government tells you you have to keep your business open. That's one example. Then you've got New York saying, let's pass a law and tell every fast food joint that does business in these travel plazas, you must be open even on the Sabbath, even if it violates your closely held religious beliefs. And and the the end result of all that is the government decides to tell business, you must do things our way. And when the government is being run by political liberals, and in the state of New York, the assembly is populated with liberals, and so is much of the U.S. Congress and much of the U.S. government, they've decided that they're going to tell business what to do. And if it comes to the safety of customers, I can understand that. But when it comes to telling a business you must stay up on the Sabbath, that's crazy. And apparently Tony Simone, in an interview he did with a reporter about this, he didn't even realize Chick-fil-A has a very, very long-term lease with the state of New York. Take a listen to the contract. Well, the, the throughways are, are meant to serve New York travelers first. And I think it's ridiculous that you are able to close on Sunday, one of the busiest travel days of the week. Of the week, except for this. They apparently have a 33-year lease to operate those fast food joints on the uh, New York Expressways at those travel plazas. So despite the fact that they have that, the Democrats are out there. Tony Simone has been trying to say, no, this is just about accommodating travelers. But let me read one of the other quotes he said in a statement, because this makes it clear exactly what's motivating him to go after this company because of the faith beliefs of its owners. Quote, not only does Chick-fil-A have a long, shameful history of opposing LGBTQ rights, it simply makes no sense for them to be a provider of food services in busy travel plazas, and a company that by policy is closed on one of the busiest travel days of the week should not be the company that travelers have to rely on for food services. And let me point out the deep irony. He's talking about the private sector. The private sector accommodates its customers. What does the government do? The government does says if you want to do business with a government office, you better show up somewhere between 9 and 4 o'clock, Monday through Friday. We don't serve any customers, citizens, the rest of the week. So the folks who represent government are criticizing the private sector for actually taking into account their faith beliefs, while the government simply says, do business with us during business hours, Monday through Friday, or you can't do any business at all. Glad to be with you. Always glad to take your calls. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.
He may talk about serious issues, but even Lars has a sense of humor. I have a joke for you. The government in this town is excellent and uses your tax dollars efficiently. <laughs> this is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your phone calls and emails. I frequently warn you about some of the activities of George Soros. George Soros, in my mind, is one of the worst things that has ever happened to the United States because he's chosen to spend his massive wealth to be able to get, well, say, prosecutors elected who refuse to prosecute and to promote other kinds of things like illegal entry to the United States. But I thought I'd check some of my assumptions with Scott Shepard, who's a fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research and director of the Free Enterprise Project. Scott, it's good to have you back, and Merry Christmas in advance. Merry Christmas to you, and always great to be with you, Lars. So tell me this, uh, is George Soros as bad as I think he is? Oh, he sure is. He absolutely is. I mean, I think we, we talked together about George a few weeks ago. Yep. And, uh, and we, we, we questioned, uh, at the end of that conversation in the column I'd written, I noted, you know, he, he, uh, is worried about Chairman G over in China. He thinks he's the, the worst thing that could happen for open society, which is what he calls his plans for the future. And we wondered about, you know, they seem like they're doing the same thing. Why would G be uh, a particular problem for Soros? And I think I've come up with the answer. Here's what I okay, think. Okay, what think. Because, because that's the reason, I mean, if I'm understanding your point right, the reason he's uh, that anyone would worry about Xi is that China is a society that t treats its own people like chattel property. You know, they tell them what to do. They can lock them up. They can lock them down. They can weld them inside their apartment buildings if they decide it's necessary. I mean, they do just about every nasty thing to their own population. You'd think it'd be right up George Soros Alley, wouldn't it? Well, ex exactly, and that's my new theory. My theory is that he thinks that Xi is such a threat because Xi seems intent on starting a new Cold War. And what that would do is set uh, the United States, the the uh, Western democracies, back to thinking about the evils of authoritarianism, right? <laughs> it would set up the Cold War dynamic again where we would re-embrace liberty because we'd be faced with the, the horrible alternative. What he wants, Soros wants, is... Uh, for for somebody like the the uh, Jimin or the other previous ones who were dictators but weren't so aggressively dictatory as to uh, uh, shock us out with Soros's help on our slide into into the Gomorrah of authoritarianism. The threat from Soros's point of view is that Xi is being threatening and therefore closing off his goal of sliding us into a Chinese. Type situation. Remember that his dear friend Klaus Schwab, the idiot okay. who runs by, the World the way, Economic yeah, Forum. Yeah, the guy who runs WEF, who dreams of a, a, a new world order, and not only that, but some of his top lieutenants have said, in the future you will own nothing and you will be happy, which, which strikes right at the heart of capitalism. If nobody owns anything, then that means by default the government owns and controls all of it and can basically call the tune for citizens to dance to. Yeah, and then that's the Chinese system. And Klaus Schwab went on Chinese television and lauded the Chinese system and its its draconian measures against uh, the, the the fake uh, pandemic or the overblown pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. 
And he had the goal in Chinese television to say, you know, you've got a great system here. We always have to be careful enforcing systems on other nations. But this is a good one. In other words, he thinks that he has to be careful about it, but it's totally within his remit to force the Chinese model on other and free nations. And so between him and Soros, I think we have it exactly clear. Xi's a threat to Soros, not because he's a, an opponent of liberty, but because he's such a wild card that he's going to put us on our guard. Well, and that I would imagine that both Klaus Schwab and George Soros love the idea of a social credit score like China has 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 uh, has pioneered. I guess you can use it that for a, a negative development. But they've they've said we're going to control how people behave. And if you behave badly, if you get speeding tickets or jaywalking tickets or if you join the wrong political organizations or speak out on the wrong issues, we take points away from your social credit score. And a lot of Americans, when I ask them about this, I said, have you heard about this? They say, well, no, not really. I don't know what it is. I said, imagine if you had uh, your debit card and you said, I think I'll fly down to see my, uh, you know, my sister or my brother. And at the airport or when you try to book the ticket, it says, I'm sorry, your social credit score is too low. And you inquire and say to your friends, well, what do I need to do to improve it? Well, you better quit the NRA. You better stop uh, writing letters to the editor. You better stop doing all those things because the government doesn't approve of them. And if you don't stop doing those things, then... Uh, the government will take away your ability to travel. It'll take away your other freedoms. You may miss out on that next promotion or that next raise. Or when you and your family want to buy a new house, they'll say, I'm sorry, but, you know, you've got a bad social credit score. Your mortgage rate is going to be double the usual rate because the government doesn't approve of you. And you say, well, that would never happen. Well, Scott, you and I have both seen a lot of that would never happen things actually come to fruition the last three years, haven't we? Oh, absolutely. But, but you know, that it, they're not even really hiding that anymore. The World Economic Forum, the Weppers, as you say, they've already called for it. And they've called for carbon uh, passports so that they can still fly their, their private jets to the top of the world in the middle of the winter to stay at a luxury hotel that's fully heated and eat Wagyu beef. Uh, but the rest of us will get maybe a couple of flights a year to start, and I'm sure that'll be cut down, because what they want is uh, us to be controlled by by the seizure of our finances and, of course, not being able to use cash anymore, having everything go through a, uh, a Fed-denominated digital currency. The, the, the World Economic Forum is in favor of all of this. Uh, George Soros and his ridiculously named open society groups are in favor of all of this. They absolutely want to control us entirely. And then you've got Yuval Hariri over there, uh, one of the, the, the chief lunatics, yep. who has said that, that we have billions too many useless people on the globe. Now, does, I mean, does that, that phrase flat seem out. familiar, uh, Scott, from history? Oh, my goodness. It's, it's, it's appalling. It, this is all, uh, well, I mean, Klaus Schwab's dad was a, a, uh, a decorated Nazi. Yep. And so why not? You know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Let me ask you this, though, Scott. One of the concerns I've got is we have people on the Republican side of the aisle, and I know you don't get specifically into partisan politics, but I worry about people who are now seeking office, not anybody in particular at this point, but if they've decided, oh, I want to be one of these young leaders with WEF, or I want to be associated with these other things, and they're conservatives, should we be concerned that if they actually took that stuff to heart, 
that they're like planted moles, that they're saying, yeah, I'm going to seek, I'm going to seek the, the president's here, I'll seek a Senate seat or a House seat, uh, and I've got all these things that got, got put in me back when I was a young leader under WEF, and that they're going to keep them, you know, hidden in their hearts until they get to a position of power and then use them. Should we be worried about that? Oh, of course we should. I mean, just on a, on a slightly smaller level, BlackRock and the other um, investment houses that want to keep pretending that ESG is neutral and is good for business and all of this nonsense because they're weffers themselves, they've gone out and hired legions, legions of Republican uh, lobbyists in the state to try to get the Republicans that are now finally standing up to ESG to uh, turn back the page to, to oh, corporate leaders are, are on the side of freedom song, even though they know it's a lie, yep. by, um, you know, all, all of the, the strategies you're talking about the World Economic Forum using. That's where they're going. Scott Shepard is at the National Center for Public Policy Research. Scott, it's always a pleasure. Director of the Free Enterprise Project. We'll be back in a moment. Glad to get your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Ever wonder what a vegan actually is? They say cows are bad for the environment because all they do is eat plants and fart, just like vegans. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you on a Tuesday, live on the Radio Northwest Network, which has, as as soon as we reach the first of the year, spent 24 years serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And a thank you and a Merry Christmas to all 26 of our radio affiliates around those three states. Now, our Twitter poll, I'm going to have to stop calling it the Twitter poll because the new name is X. Maybe we'll call it the poll on X, but formerly known as the Twitter poll. If Joe Biden won't guard our borders, should states enforce the law for them, as the state of Texas is doing? Yesterday, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas signed three new laws into, into uh, three new bills into law. And he made illegal entry from a foreign country into Texas a state crime, which means the police can arrest illegal aliens. And he pointed out that four years ago, the United States had the lowest illegal border crossings in 40 years because of Donald Trump's policies. Abbott 
properly credits Trump for those policies. After Joe Biden eliminated all four of those policies, and they'd be easy to put back in place if Joe Biden so chose, uh, the United States is now seeing the highest number of illegal border crossings in America's history. So, if Joe Biden won't guard our borders, should states pass laws and do it for them? I'd answer that one, yes. You can answer any way you like, at Lars Larson Show on X, or you can do it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Let me go first to Jim and remind you that our Twitter poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Hey, Jim, <coughs> welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Yeah, Lars, I was watching the Saturday night news, 11 o'clock news on Coin 6, and about the big announcement on the bridge, all the huh. money flowing in. And uh, immediately they bring in a politician, an elected official from Clark County or, or Vancouver, one of the two. I didn't catch her name. And was she it Ann McInerney, the mayor of Vancouver, by any chance? It, it was a female. Yeah. Probably and there. she goes into this rant uh, about how how we have to get this bridge reconstructed immediately and you know, get all this, get it all going. Because she says, and I can't believe she said this, but she did. You can check on it because she said she has a two-year-old daughter, and she refuses to let her go across the bridge in a car because at any moment the bridge could collapse. Which is ridiculous. The bridge is perfectly yeah, I, solid. They are right that if we had the, the nine earthquake that's always been predicted for the Northwest, and someday it may happen, although the chance of it happening, I think John Lee knows these numbers, in the next 50 years is something like 15%. So, but having said that, if she wanted just a, an earthquake-safe bridge, it would be one thing. But, Jim, they want to spend, the current budget is around $7.5 billion dollars, they haven't even worked out all the particulars on the bridge, so it'd be like estimating the cost of building a house without figuring out how big a house you're going to build or what it's going to look like or anything else. You can't do it. So that number is likely to be uh, crazy bigger than $7.5 That's problem one. Problem two, the U.S. Coast Guard has the ability to veto the bridge as they effectively uh, did on the last bridge, the one we wasted $200 million on and didn't get a single thing for it. But the Coast Guard has said that bridge is 60 feet too low to allow river traffic to pass. And the Coast Guard has has the ability to veto the project. And they have given no indication that they're going to sign off on a bridge that is 60 feet too low. And that's problem number two. And then number three, at least $2 billion of that $7.5 billion is for light rail that won't be carrying anybody. John Lee is the guy I credit. He follows the numbers on that particular issue very closely. And he points out that if you saw a demand for more transit across that bridge that would justify $2 billion for a light rail line, he said you'd see increasing numbers on C-Tran buses that already run across the bus and uh, across the bridge, and you don't. The numbers are actually declining. So why would you buy a brand-new light rail line at $2 billion as part of the project when you've got declining transit numbers. And they say, oh, if you just put in light rail. He woke me up to one thing yesterday. Jim, do you know to make that light rail line work? They're insisting on a downtown stop for it, and they say the stop will be 80 to 90 feet up from the ground level. Now, they're going to build some kind of platform 
that's going to allow the train to stop 90 feet up. Now, will they be able to build enough elevators to lift all the passengers up and down? Probably not, which means you'll be climbing eight or nine flights of stairs. Do you think that's going to make light rail popular in Clark County? No, but it might help some people for their fitness routine. <laughs> if, if it doesn't kill them. But, but you know, the whole th I think the bridge idea is dead. I don't think it's going to happen. Now, I, I've been proved wrong before, but the last bridge, they spent the better part of a decade and $200 million and got nowhere. And if, if they say, we're going to put light rail on that thing, expect it to be put to a vote. Citizens will insist on it and expect the vote to go down. The second thing they're expecting is $2.5 billion of the price tag is going to come from tolling. And we already know, both in the Puget Sound region and in the Portland area, tolling, telling people they have to pay money to drive on roads that they already bought and paid for is going to be incredibly unpopular. And by that, I mean people are going to go to the polls and they're going to say, we're not going to do it. I mean, those are some of the reasons why that bridge, the new one that's proposed, just is not going to happen. But there are companies out there just lining up because they see dollar signs on that $7.5 billion project. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all the capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is the dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails. Now, we are coming up in the first part of the next year. We'll come up on three months since the deadly slaughter of October 7th in Israel. Now. What have we learned about America? We've learned that American colleges and universities, apparently, they don't like any other kind of discrimination, but they embrace anti-Semitism all day long and probably twice on Sunday. And there's a brand new poll out that shows that, get this, about 50% of 18 to 24-year-olds, some of those are college students, so you kind of expect them to be indoctrinated, but 50% of those 18 to 24-year-olds, whether they're in college or not, when asked, have said, yeah, why don't we just give the state of Israel, a whole country and the people in it, will give it to the Palestinians represented by the terrorist group Hamas. 
Now, to try to sort this out, I've called on one of my fellow talkers, and that's Ari Hoffman, host of the Ari Hoffman Show on our affiliate station, KVI in Seattle. Ari, welcome back. Pleasure to be here, Lars. How are you doing? I'm doing well, but what the heck is going on that 50% of American kids are not siding with the folks who got attacked, but they're siding with the terrorist group saying, well, the terrorists say they want the state of Israel and all the Jews gone. Well, let's let's just give them the state of Israel and make the Jews go away. I don't know why we're really surprised about this, Lars. I mean, you and I spend a ton of time on our shows talking about this diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff and the critical race theory garbage. And what it basically does is it boils people down into two categories, oppressors and the oppressed. And you have to fit into one of those categories. Now, let's take Jewish history for a minute. You have less than 16 million Jews in the world, less than one-tenth of one percent of the world's population. You have the Holocaust. You've been, you've had the Jews kicked out of so many countries across the world. You've had them targeted in so many countries across the world. You would think for sure they'd fall into the oppressed category according to the diversity, equity, and inclusion scale. But they don't. Why? Because Jews are successful. Because Jews, people of the book, found ways to be successful in all these different countries they ended up in. So they can't put them in the oppressed category. So instead they put them in the oppressor. Similarly, they do the same thing with the Asian community where they say, well, we don't care about all the oppression you guys have been through or the things you guys deal with. You're not a minority anymore. You are now officially the oppressor. So never mind the people People who fled communist China or any or people in Taiwan or any of that kind of stuff, we're just going to say now you are oppressors. So that's why Harvard, long before we had this testimony up on Capitol Hill, you had Harvard being sued for its emission standards because yep. it was excluding Jews and Asians. And that's in 2023 you were having this kind of stuff going on. So I don't know why anybody's really surprised about this. And the problem is they're saying, well, if you don't fit into the oppressed category, you must be an oppressor. And well, that's why they're saying I'm not fight surprised back against by it, are you? No, don't get that I'm surprised by it. I'm just saying. We've now, I mean, where you and I have talked in theory about people saying, well, there are these people and they're teaching this nonsense. But then I, I think a lot of us hoped that, that folks, reasonable folks would reject it. They might have taken it in, in college, but then later they'd say, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, and, and they would move away from it. Instead, they seem to be embracing it wholesale, even on con, on hugely consequential things, like saying, if a terrorist group demands something and they represent an oppressed people, who I really don't think are oppressed at all. I mean, I don't think the Palestinians are oppressed. I think they're obnoxious. And my proof that they're obnoxious is they live next door to Egypt, and Egypt says not one of those folks is coming into Egypt. And they live near Jordan, and Jordan has said, we don't want any of those people. In fact, their Arab brothers, their Muslim brothers, have all said, we don't want anything to do with those people. And they don't dislike them for their religion. Most of the countries that are saying that about them are of the same religion and the same ethnic background and the same racial and cultural background. And they said, this is a bad bunch. We don't want them anywhere near us, which should tell you they're not oppressed. They're obnoxious. Yes, I think it's worse than that. They're dangerous. But the ones that well, are oppressed, it. who stay in God, yes, the ones who are oppressed, are being oppressed by their own leaders who get billions of dollars in aid from countries all around the world, build palaces, don't even live in the country. They're not even in Gaza right now. They fled to Qatar or wherever else they're hiding. They're hiding all over the world, living lavish lifestyles, and none of that money actually went to the Palestinian people. 
when Israel withdrew from Gaza in 2005, everybody said, oh, it's going to be a Singapore, it's going to be a paradise, and none of that money actually went to making it that way. Instead, it went to terror tunnels and everything else. Now, what's fascinating, what you're seeing happen across the country, and I've said this time and time again, is for them, from the river to the sea, meaning the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, which is the definition of Israel, is not enough for them. They want Sharia law everywhere. Look what they're doing to Europe. Look what they've done to the UK. And America is their next site. So over the weekend, you saw the narrative start changing. What have we seen up until now? Even before Israel went into Gaza, it was ceasefire, 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 even right after the terrorist attacks. The Democrat Socialists of America were organizing these pro-Hamas rallies in New York City, Times Square, elsewhere. On October 8th, on October 9th, Israel hadn't even gone into Gaza yet. So we've heard the whole time, ceasefire, ceasefire. Well, that's not working. So now instead, they're saying the quiet part out loud. Yesterday in Grand Central Station, they were saying, what's the solution? Intifada revolution. So they're saying, what's the solution for the Jews? An armed uprising of ethnic cleansing of the Jews. They're literally calling for the final solution in Grand Central Station in New York. Look how they interrupted Bowser's Christmas tree lighting ceremony in Washington, D.C. Look how they're targeting Christian events, Christmas tree lightings. In fact, it's gotten so bad that the Democrats have had enough of these crazies, but they enabled them. This is 2020 all over again. And by the way, we're seeing the same activists from BLM. There are, I'm talking to Ari Hoffman, my fellow talker friend from Seattle, but anti-Israel protesters in San Francisco, I mean, you you almost can't find a more liberal city in America collectively than San Francisco, so they go out and they block streets and they block roads, and like I said, most of the time they're obnoxious, but in this case they get dangerous because they actually stopped organs, transplant organs, from reaching transplant patients. And as you know, there's a time factor involved in that, these people, and, and the only reason I distinguish that they're obnoxious and you're right to add dangerous, there are plenty of, of dangerous people out there who are charming. Ted Bundy was charming. There are plenty of charming people who are also dangerous, but, but these people are both dangerous and obnoxious, and they're already starting to say, we're going to cause you know, great chaos in your country if you won't back us up in, in telling Israel you can't hit the terrorists back. You have to let them hit you, but you can't hit back. That's nuts. That's exactly what we're watching. You're seeing it unfold. And here's something crazy. The Democrat Socialists of America released a toolkit. You wonder why all the banners look the same in Seattle as they do in New York, as they do in North Carolina? It's because they upload templates for these things for their supporters to download and get printed. They can get these things printed across the country. You have the Democrat Socialists of, of America. I wrote an article about this for the Post Millennial, which has all the links to it. It's still there, even after being busted. It's still there. You have organizations like the Council for American Islamic Relations, which is really just Hamas in America. Care. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they are. They have their own version of that. There's other organizations that do, which is why all these banners look the same. It's why. Ari, Ari, I've got to break. Ari's a radio guy. He knows why I have to break. But Ari, thank you very much. That's Ari Hoffman, my fellow talk buddy from uh, Seattle, from our affiliate station there, KVI. Glad to be with you on a Tuesday. Always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I want to talk Jeffrey Epstein coming up next on the Radio Northwest Network.
We With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. At least someone has a plan for illegal aliens. Back in the White House, I will terminate every open borders policy of the Biden administration and begin the largest deportation operation in American history. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I'm going to tell you something. I want to talk about Jeffrey Epstein for a moment, then I'll get to your phone calls. Because you know who Epstein was. I mean, he's dead. I think he was murdered rather than committing suicide. He was in custody. He was supposedly being watched and monitored. And yet and still, he managed to commit suicide, allegedly. His own attorney said that that day, the day he committed suicide, he was talking to them about his plans, his expectation. He was going to win his court case. I mean, he was a thoroughgoing scumbag. He was a convicted pedophile. He was associated with child trafficking. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, his top assistant, was convicted of trafficking. And yet, for some reason, the entire case against him was against him, and he's dead, and against Ghislaine Maxwell, and she's convicted, and nobody else, none of the other people. So, as far as I'm concerned, one of the enduring mysteries of our age is how a long-time convicted pedophile managed to traffic in children especially girls and reportedly share those victims those trafficked children with his buddies and how a man with connections to the rich and powerful names like gates i mean top politicians top people in money who stayed in touch with him even after his convictions his earlier convictions for pedophilia uh, for for child trafficking how he managed to keep doing what he was doing after so many of those who befriended of him knew of his convictions and then he dies in custody allegedly by suicide despite evidence to the contrary and now guess what's going to happen we've been forewarned that court documents are going to be released by a manhattan federal judge who has ordered unsealing of documents including the names of 170 people with ties to jeffrey epstein now some of those are former employees some of those are victims and judge loretta presca uh, ordered yesterday that they release these documents uh, in the sin-subtle defamation lawsuit that Virginia Roberts Jiffrey, who is one of Epstein's accusers, brought against Ghislaine Maxwell back in 2015. Under that ruling, dozens of individuals previously known only as Jane Doe's or John Doe's in various court filings linked to the suit, according to the New York Post, will likely be identified when the materials uh, tied to them are unsealed in full.
Now, what I'm interested in is how many of those people are still in positions of power, either financial power or political power. That is going to be fascinating. To your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Let me go first to Dave. Hey, Dave, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Yes, uh, earlier in the show you had... Uh uh, kind of quoted uh, President Reagan as uh, we are one generation away from ruin, which uh, makes sense to me. I also want to say, though, that I'm not a naysayer. You didn't call me that, and that's good. I'm not by any means. But uh, continuing that thought, um, then you said uh, this may be the generation right now that uh, is that generation of ruin. Well, um, I, I thought about that, and it occurred to me that, uh, it may be the previous generation because of the uh, the because of the uh, professors in our universities who are teaching this generation uh, to uh, belly up to the terrorists. Well, so don't don't leave out the public school teachers either, Dave, because I think if the university professors deserve some blame for indoctrination, would you agree that public school teachers and the unions that drive them have also been involved in that? Yes. Okay. I'm sure. So that may identify the guilty parties, but how do we fix that? <laughs> well, I'm I'm sorry, I I don't have much say over those uh, educators. <laughs> no, so I'm and not it also one. <laughs> it also says something I, I think really critical about families because when you went to school, if one of your teachers fed you a bunch of liberal claptrap, had your parents prepared you so that you would say, Nah, that's that's nonsense. I'm not going to believe that, even if it came from a teacher. And no normally kids are told to respect their teachers and what they say. But would you have known to say, or maybe even to talk to mom and dad about it? The teacher says, you know, that we should learn about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the teacher says that boys can become girls and girls can become boys. At the very least, would you have talked about that with your parents? Well, uh, I went to school so much longer ago than those kind of things. Back then, we quoted the uh, Pledge of Allegiance and that kind of thing. So I, I'm not really the one to answer that question either. I'm sorry. Well, but all I'm saying is that these days, no, I, I'm not I'm sure the kids. I'm not sure the kids go home and tell their parents. Some of them do clearly because we've talked I to see. some of the parents you know who say yeah my kids being fed this bunch of garbage came home told me which is smart mom and dad said no they're not going to do that and they and they actually objected to what the teacher was teaching uh, sadly we don't have enough kids who are doing that and enough parents who are standing up to object let's go to alex hey alex welcome to the Lars larson show you told the producer you want to talk about something about the auto walkouts yeah, the auto lockouts that apparently they passed uh, uh, just recently in the, in the Congress and Senate House. And uh, if they get, I, I'm pretty sure they get. I know Thomas Massey was against it, and, and he's trying to uh, pass well, You're talking about the so-called kill switches, right? Yes, the kill switch. That's well, right. ex except when you say the Congress, it wasn't the Congress. This was Joe Biden's doing through the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. That's part of the deep state that Donald warned us about. They said, we're going to have these new requirements for automobiles. But that didn't get voted on by Congress. It got pushed through by those in the bureaucracy, people we don't know, people we didn't elect. 
people we can't remove from office. That's why the deep. That's why Trump said the deep state was so dangerous because yeah. they put that in there. And what they said first, and I think it's only a starting point, and it's not a smart one, is that they're going to require. I think after 2026, every car will have to have a passive system that monitors you, the driver, and then your car, the chip, the silicon chip in your car, will decide is Alex okay to drive. And the car can itself decide to lock you out, not lock you out of the car, the body of the car, but turn the car off and it won't turn on because the silicon chip has, has determined that you're not uh, fit to drive, you know, because of drugs, because of anything else. And But from that, you could easily go to a system where the government could literally sideline your car and say, okay, then we're going to turn all those cars off and uh, we'll do it remotely. And and that's well within reason if if they put this system in. And we should push back hard against it. The problem is we can't do it through Congress unless the Congress is willing to pass new laws and limit what National Highway Traffic Safety can do. I see. Yeah. Well, I, I know it, it goes beyond. They're using the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the question of being um, inebriated as as a, as a as a push for that, but as it goes deeper than that, like you just said, it goes into insurance qualification, who's in your car, how far you went, where you went. I mean, it'll track everything uh, from yep. what I understand. Yeah, and that's exactly where they're headed. And would you trust that that chip knows the difference? If, say, you go out and you get assaulted by somebody who beats the daylights out of you and mugs you, and then you crawl into your car and, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of a, you're, you're kind of been beaten up badly, and your car decides, oh, I'm not going to let you drive away, you appear to be intoxicated, when in fact, you're just the victim of a mugging or a rape or an assault of some kind. It's crazy. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. message from Lars. I'd like to apologize to anyone I've not offended yet. Please be patient. I'll get to you shortly. Who's next? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to get to your calls. Uh, I'll do that in a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers always go first at 866-439-5277. Emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And I want to turn to Timothy Head, who is Executive Director of the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Timothy, uh, welcome to the program and Merry Christmas in advance. Absolutely. Merry Christmas to you. And uh, and we are wrapping up an eventful 23 and bracing ourselves, I think, for 24. Yeah, I don't think any of us can imagine with all the crazy things that have happened in 23 what could be coming in an election year. But let me ask you this. I want to ask you a somewhat political question, somewhat practical question. We've got people who, uh, you know, who are in prison right now, the, the very... The few that are actually prosecuted, convicted, and actually sent to prison because the vast majority of criminals are not uh, convicted, are not sent to prison. But I'm wondering whether or not these liberal criminal justice policies that I thought would drive voters to the right side of the ballot uh, almost two years ago, well, a year, more than a year ago in, in the 22 election, uh, and, and I was disappointed. But I'm wondering if people are now seeing the result of all these liberal criminal justice policies and whether or not that might just change the direction of this next year's vote. Well, you know, there, there's a, there's kind of a, 
a, a bundle of, of issues that are kind of packed in there. And, and I think that, that uh, you know, we're definitely seeing a lot of the, the kind of jailbreak type of stuff that we see, you know, kind of uh, prosecutorial uh, discretion run amok, you know, in, in the New Yorks and the L.A.s and the Chicago's of the world. I think a lot of the places, place, uh, people in those places are, are definitely uh, looking for major, major alternatives. Uh, and then, uh, you know, ironically, you've got this, uh, this kind of other end of the spectrum that's not d- discussed uh, probably enough uh, that, uh, you know, even, even people like Donald Trump, you know, when he was in office, uh, had a, a fairly measured approach of giving people a second chance if they've kind of rehabilitated and gone through programming. And, uh, and a lot of, of, uh, of minority populations have responded really, really well to kind of that nuanced uh, kind of uh, uh, measured approach. So the, so the jailbreak stuff people are rejecting, but the nuanced smart approaches, I think, like, uh, like Trump's approach with the First Step Act and a couple of other things, uh, interestingly, are actually bringing a lot of minorities, especially um, African-Americans, uh, to the table in, in pretty thoughtful ways. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of a, an interesting blend of things that are happening right now. Well, and it's interesting to me because the numbers, Tim, and you know these numbers too, while we have a disproportionate number of people of color in this country who commit crimes, their victims are, I, I think, close to 90% when it comes to murder. The people People who get murdered by people of color uh, tend to be other people of color. So minority populations that are law-abiding citizens are the are the ones who get beat up the most by the crimes of those people that the left seems most most uh, you know anxious to excuse. That's exactly right. You know, one of the the kind of uh, uh, misconceptions is that uh, I don't know. You've got like these drive-by shootings or something like that that are happening across the country. Of course, there are such things as drive-by shootings, but most violence, uh, uh, interestingly enough and sadly enough, is actually in local neighborhoods and frequently even with relationships. Over ninety percent of violent crimes are committed against people that the the perpetrator knows. They're not random, you know, people breaking in and. And, uh, you know, just kind of, uh, unloading shells places. Uh, they're normally domestic violence, uh, you know, uh, things, uh, kind of complicated situations like that. So you're exactly right. Whenever you kind of, uh, um, if you don't, if you completely ignore certain, uh, kind of swaths of, uh, of, of, uh, criminality, uh, you penalize the, the neighborhoods that are actually the most susceptible. Yeah, and, and minority voters are waking up to that. Do you think that any Republicans have the uh, uh, the guts, if you will, to actually go out and point that out and say, listen, when we stop, you know, when society starts turning loose uh, criminals because of their skin color, because of racial injustice or whatever, the folks that are going to go back and hit the hardest are going to be other people of color in America, which means the result of those policies is going to be felt most strongly in minority communities and and among law-abiding citizens that and like you you mentioned the drive-by shootings when a when a, a drug gang that's run by by people of color they aren't all but but you know there's a disproportionate share and they decide they've got a beef with another gang and they do a drive-by shooting the the the, the guy they're trying to get who's in the gang uh may may get shot but a bunch of his neighbors may get shot as well law-abiding citizens who had nothing to do with what was going on there that's exactly right, which is, is uh, ironically, you know, I think people kind of uh, uh, sarcastically or sardonically, you know, refer to uh, the 2020 as the quote-unquote summer of love, you know. Uh, well, one of the kind of uh, the thick ironies and sad ironies is um, that 
while uh, Black Lives Matter in an extremely partisan exercise was calling for you know police to be defunded, ironically, again, uh, um, uh, uh, populations in, in the most urban areas, especially mothers and grandmothers in, the, in those most urban areas in Chicago and New York, we're saying, no, it's the opposite. We don't, we don't want less police or defunded police. We actually want more police. We want the right police. You know, we want responsible professional police, but we want more police. And ironically, that's actually one of the, one of our, our arguments at Faith and Freedom Coalition is if we can, if we can, um, kind of, uh, focus or target policing in uh, in most vulnerable communities, and especially in most vulnerable zip codes, uh, a stronger police presence, as long as they're responsible and well trained, um, it actually has has a, a an excellent effect on criminology uh, in those neighborhoods. So, so you actually want a stronger presence, uh, not a not a lighter or lesser presence. No, and in fact, Tim, I, I'd mentioned the the one politician who I think that brought that summer of love nonsense to the fore was the f now former mayor, a liberal lady named Jenny Durkin in Seattle, who declared, oh, we're going to have a summer of love. And you say, hold on a second. And she had part of her whole city taken over uh, by the Antifa BLM crowd, the, uh, you know, the, the chop zone or the Chaz zone, as they called it. And they set up their own autonomous zone for about six weeks. And one of the first things Antifa and BLM did was go out and illegally arm people and declare them to be the new policing of that area and so you say so the very people who want to get rid of the police the first thing they did after they take over an entire community by force is set up their own police except no due process no judges no juries no none of that and no rules at all well look i mean the the the, the, the kind of harsh reality for for people that live in the real world is that human conflicts uh, while, while unfortunate, is is a reality. It's not just an American problem. It's not a 2023 or 2024 problem. Uh, this is existence uh, has existed literally since Cain and Abel, and um, and so we have to have a system in place to resolve that conflict, uh, both on kind of the contractual business side, the financial side, and then also on the violent, you know, crim, crim, uh, criminal side. And so. Um, we, we, this is not a situation where you can just kind of like uh, wave some magic wand and say we're all going to get along and, uh, you know, uh, we're not going to have any prisons anymore and, and no police. Uh, and, and, and the, the, the thick irony is, you know, exactly like you said, as soon as people are, are, are kind of uh, parachuted in and, and are able to, uh, to, list, to, to live or, or control certain areas, they immediately realize, oh, my gosh, like, some people don't do what I tell them to do. You know, when, when the chop, top or Chaz kind of took over, they were like, wait a minute, but the 30 of us that are in charge, but the other 8,000 people here aren't doing what we tell them to. Uh, and so immediately they control and actually enforce uh, order. Uh, so it, it's just a human dynamic. It's a human reality. And so this is the reason why we believe that we have to find a way to get this right, or at least better. Um, you know, it may not ever be perfect, but I think we can continue to do better. Uh, yeah. But still you know, kind of uh, 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 respect or honor uh, our systems that are in place. That's what it has to be. That's Timothy Head, Executive Director of the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Tim, thanks very much. Uh, back in a moment, we'll get to your call at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277 on the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me.
me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. And now, this musical message to anyone who wants to indoctrinate our school children. Hey, teacher, leave kids alone. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to get to your phone calls at 866-HEY-LARS. And our Twitter poll or X poll today, if Joe Biden won't guard our southern borders, and he has not, he has invited an illegal alien invasion that now numbers around 9 million. Next year sometime we'll probably hit 10, 11, and 12. Should states enforce the law for them? The state of Texas, under Governor Greg Abbott, uh, the legislature passed three specific laws. Governor Abbott signed them into law on Monday, making illegal entry to Texas from a foreign country a state crime. And I've had people push back on this, say, well, you can't do that. That's not the state's job. You know, I could cite plenty, and I have cited plenty of examples of things that are illegal in a state. They are also illegal under federal law if you do them, and either state or federal or a combination of both can prosecute those crimes. I see no problem with Texas, what Texas is doing, although the ACLU, the Anarchist Crooks and Lawyers Union, has decided to bring suit already. Within a day, they brought a lawsuit challenging Texas' ability to simply arrest people for being in the country, in the state of Texas, from a foreign country, and they don't like that. In any case, glad to get your calls. Our question can be found on X at Lars Larson Show on our website at LarsLarson.com and brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let's go to Robert first. Hey, Robert, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Yeah, afternoon, Lars. Uh, I just want to pass on some observations. I live close to the, in Wilsonville, to the west side uh, rail transit, and an average, I would say, is 20 cars, plus or minus five or six. There's, like, nobody using it. Yep. And in the, after, in the afternoon, there'll be five or six uh, city transit buses waiting to pick up and leave with nobody on them. Yep. It is just a seems to be an incredible waste of of resources it is it's, and it's Ro an actual, robert we've we've proved actual, that more, it's more than once train. there 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 are people uh who follow this close closely uh randall o'toole is one of them uh john charles is another they point out that if you take the total operating costs of west side the west side rail the wes train it works out to about a hundred dollars 
per passenger per ride. And I'm not exaggerating. And if you said, well, Lars, for a hundred bucks, for a, probably 20% of that, you could get an Uber ride, you know, that same exactly. distance. And the answer is, yes, they could. And instead, they said, no, we have to have this fixed train. It isn't going to carry anybody. It's going to cost $100 per passenger per ride. It's an entirely stupid idea. Thanks so much for the call. Let me go to uh, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, you called in. You heard me mention Chick-fil-A, and you had a take on the state of New York deciding to go after Chick-fil-A through this legislation to tell them they have to be open on the Sabbath. Yeah, it's not in the state. It's on the New York State Thruway. The New York State Thruway is a restricted access highway. Once you get on, you can't get off. There's no entrance and exit ramps like you would think of an interstate highway having. So, therefore, you have the plazas for your services. You have the what? The plazas? The, the throughway. Yeah, North I understand. At the, truck, at the truck plazas, there are a lot of, of different things. You can get fuel. You can stretch your legs. You can buy meals from a number of different vendors. But for but but for an excuse, I mean, this uh, Simone character, who's a member of the legislature, has made it clear why he's going after Chick-fil-A. He doesn't like their politics when it comes to LGBTQ. And he said so. I, I read that quote and I made it clear this only applies on the on the so-called truck plazas. Should the government be able to order a company either operate on the Sabbath day, no matter what your beliefs are, or we won't let you do business? Should they be able to do that? Well, absolutely not, and that's where you know I'm pointing this out to show how more ridiculous it is because people out here can't fathom. But it's not a truck plaza; it's a plaza because you can't get off of the highway to go to a restaurant. You have to use what they provide you. Yep. So anybody who frequents a Chick Fil A is going to know that they're not open on Sunday. Yep. So and they know, and they know that if they're really hungry and they're traveling, they can go to. I read down the list of the other services that are provided at those plazas. It includes just about every fast food joint you've ever heard of, and this is right. just an attack on people's faith. Right, and uh, you know the the more connected you are in the throughway, then the more restaurants you have along the throughway. Yep, as having a bit of vendor to some yep. of those places, <laughs> it's. It's a, it's a good old boy club. Well, and frankly, Jeff, I wish that we had that same system out west because I wish they would take all these highway rest areas. Most of them are somewhat maintained by the states of Oregon and Washington. Uh, oftentimes they're dirty. Oftentimes they seem like a dangerous place for, say, a mom with two small kids to stop late at night while driving home from you know point A to point B. And I wish they'd make the same kind of deals. Say, we want to get some vendors who will come in at their expense, build a restaurant on that land, operate the restaurant, and, and with the agreement that in exchange for the use of the land at the rest area to run a Burgerville or whatever, um, that, that you will keep bathrooms open and clean and well, you know, well cleaned and, and well lit and warm uh, 24, hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You do well, that. 1998 was the last time I was on the throughway, and the restrooms are quite clean, and it's, everything is very well lit. Yep, that's true in New York, not so true out to the West. Jeff, thanks very much. I appreciate the call. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. 
So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.